Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Hi, everyone. Before we get started, I just want to give a quick welcome to new listeners and followers. I'm really glad you're here, and I want to get to know you better. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at lizatlizsumner.com or message me on Facebook or Instagram. If you have time for a five-question survey, I'd really appreciate your answers. You can find it at lizsumner.com survey. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And if you're really a fan, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash alwayswanted. Thank you so much for listening. Here's the interview. My guest today is Heather Herring. For much of her career, Heather has worked in education, teaching from kindergarten through graduate level. In 2012, she and her husband and seven-year-old daughter, Willow, moved to Brazil for a year. I want to hear that story. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much, Liz. Tell us how the grand adventure came about. (laughs) Well, I remember standing outside of a community theater talking to some of my theater friends and saying, you know... It would be great, while I still have a a young daughter, to live somewhere else in the world. And um, so I had that dream for a couple of years that maybe my family would move to another country and just not be tourists and, you know, not be there for a week or two and see the highlights, but, you know, shop on the local markets and, you know, be normal as much as possible. And that uh, dream faded. Uh, She went through kindergarten and into first grade, and I thought, well, now she's in formal school, she'll have friends, and my husband at the time uh, was in graduate school and couldn't leave um, because he was taking classes. So that seemed to close the door. But then it just came up one winter (laughs) in New Hampshire, with all the snow, and suddenly he was done with coursework and just needed to write his dissertation. And that just kind of formulated this, wait, there's this actual little window where we could pull up roots and try somewhere. So that was in the, like a March and March is the cruelest month in New Hampshire. (laughs) So quickly the idea formed that, well, we could go somewhere. And I, I literally pulled out a map of the world and said, well, where, where could we live? I've visited Thailand. I had a college friend in Thailand and he said, no, 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 I don't want to I don't want to learn a new alphabet. And I said, okay. (laughs) So Thailand was eliminated and um, suggested a couple other countries, um, India, no, too many people. (laughs) So eventually I said, well, what about Brazil? I did a travel semester study abroad in Brazil in college. And he had actually visited there for uh, the Earth Summit. And so we'd both been there. We both loved the friendly people. And I just read an article about Brazilians and Cubans were considered the friendliest people on the earth. And so we decided, okay, Brazil it is. So that was, that was in late March. And within two or three weeks, we, decide, we planned this idea to rent our home, to rent it out to maybe a university professor 
and do some sort of exchange. And we had just adopted two cats, so that was complicated. <laughs> and um, just up, you know, we were on lots of committees and boards and our jobs and everything. So it really came together very quickly. And for about a month, we were, you know, privately planning this. And then we let our bosses know. Um, and we, so we let the world know, I think, in April or May. And we moved in August. So it was wow. pretty quick from idea to fruition. And um, I had been, in addition to my job, I had been uh, adjunct faculty at the graduate school. And so I had saved enough money for basically three airplane tickets and a month or two of rent is what I was thinking of. So um, I knew I had that pot of money to get us started and we didn't have much of a plan but to figure it out along the way. So that's how it started. So yeah, we, it was kind of a rush. And actually, that, I'd say that's a lesson I have learned throughout this process. So moving a family internationally within just a couple of months was the best way to go. Why, why plan it for two years, right? And now, even when I take a vacation, I find that I don't make up my mind where I'm going to go or actually buy the tickets or even know what to go see or do until two, three weeks before. So it, it's taught me to just go with the flow. <laughs> Were you and your husband together in that kind of flexible planning or was one of you one way and, another, and the other a different way? That's a very good question. Um, he was very organized, uh, you know, like things like what to pack. So very kind of the organizer and I was in charge of school. So I was, I was communicating with a school. Our daughter had attended a Waldorf school, which is very specific, and that is what geared where in Brazil we would live. So I started looking at the Waldorf schools in Brazil, and there, was, there were several, of course, in the large cities, in, in Rio and Sao Paulo, and there was a moment that I thought, well, maybe we'll just go ahead and do this crazy big city thing. And then it was just overwhelming. We're like, no, we can't do that. And so we found a Waldorf school that had been established for 30 years in uh, an island off of Brazil called Florianopolis. It sounds Greek, but it's, uh, it's Brazilian. So Floripa is what they call it for short. And so we had decided on that school. So I had been communicating via email, and I think I had a phone call with them in broken Portuguese and said how old my daughter was and when we were arriving. And so we had basic plans to connect with that school. And that is why we moved to Floripa was for the school. So <laughs> one of the stories is, and one of the lessons is things don't go the way you, you think they will. So we moved our family, rented our house at the last second to a family, a local Waldorf family, moved to Brazil, got off the plane, and on day two, I think it was, we were staying in a bed and breakfast. And day two, we went to visit the school where she would attend. And we thought, oh, it's, it's lovely. You have to take a bus. But, you know, it's, it's lovely and well-established. Well, we came back the next day for the interview. And they explained to us, oh, oh, she's in second grade. Oh, we have 30 kids in the second grade. And... Well, in first grade, we have 32 and several with special needs. No, we can't accept her. 
And so he had moved to Brazil to a school that misunderstood us and maybe her, her grade or something and didn't have room for her. So, and we're sitting at the table with the teacher and the principal and I burst into tears. And of course this is in front of my daughter. Um, <laughs> just, you feel a little helpless. Well, they said, don't worry, don't worry. There's a new school, you know, down by the beach. It's a small kind of a uh, establishing school. They have a couple of grades and they have room for you and they're wonderful. So we went down toward the beach in the, you know, very residential beach area. And there was this little homemade school and uh, they welcomed her with open arms. And it was the best experience ever. I couldn't imagine it being any better than it was. It was just priceless. So, so things don't uh, work out the way you don't plan things because they won't work out that way. And it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So how, how much Portuguese did you guys have uh, before you left? Very interesting question. So in college, which was 10 plus years before that, I had studied abroad in Brazil for three months. And so I had taken classes on basic Portuguese and I was there to study biology. So a lot of scientific words are similar. So you just add a little ista or ao at the end <laughs> and, and you have the same word and you can understand it. So much easier to get along. Um, and I was traveling with Americans. So the goal of this trip was to be stay as far away from Americans and English as possible. And we did. Um, so I had Portuguese, but I had lost most of it. I could understand some, but I was pathetic. My husband uh, had studied Spanish in college, so he knew Spanish somewhat now. And was terrible. So he, he, it actually was harder for him because it's every third word is the same and two other words are different. And, but we were in the south of Brazil where you have a lot of Argentinians move there. And actually a lot of our friends were Spanish speaking and actually they spoke, they taught Spanish at the school as well. So she was, she had English class, Spanish class, and they spoke Portuguese. So she was in three languages and she she knew, hello, my name is Willow, that's it. And, and so we were definitely beginners, but by throwing ourselves into the culture and the teachers at the school really didn't speak English um, at all. Like they knew a couple of farm animals, that's it. <laughs> and so it was a humbling experience for us and we had to learn. Willow, like I said, had to learn Portuguese on the, the playground. So she just learned by what are the kids doing on the playground? What's left? What's right? How do you play this game? And by the end of our time, by halfway through, she had a native accent. She was fluent, completely fluent. She understood toddler. She, it wasn't about conjugating verbs. It was just speaking and you, un, you know, it was, it was a different way to absorb the language, which was fascinating to watch a seven-year-old gain that knowledge. Was she ever afraid during any of this early process? I was amazed at her uh, bravery. Um, so I had a way of being with her when she was young 
not to say, oh my gosh, this is going to be such a scary experience. You'll be so frightened. It'll be awful because that <laughs> brings up anxiety <laughs> in anybody. So I would just say, okay, we're going to school now. It's going to be great. And definitely she held my hand, you know, on that first day. But I was actually, when she arrived for her first day of school, they knew this American was coming. And I remember the words the children said at the school gate. Um, when we arrived at the gate of the school, they said, Elisha go, Elisha go. And they were so excited. And they were running to the teachers. They were like, she's here, she's here. They were just so ready to hug and kiss her and be Brazilian kids together. Um, it was so welcoming. So she didn't have really a chance to be shy. I do remember we took her violin. We managed to bring her violin with her. And she was too embarrassed. They had a talent show and they were like, oh, I am not, I am not going to play my violin at this talent show. And I said, okay, we'll just take it with us. That's fine. And then she did. If you just don't tell them that there's going to be anxiety, they do it. That would be different for the 17 year old today, but uh, definitely in elementary school, you just kind of go with the flow and it all worked out. So it was, uh, it was humbling. So going to that first parent meeting, you know, just trying to follow along, like, what are they saying to us? And by the end, understanding everything. And we came far, a very far distance. And that was from not hanging around English-speaking people as much as possible. What things did you plan that weren't the way you expected? And what things surprised you when you got there? Well, the good part is I had no expectations about what it was going to be like other than the school we chose. So uh, getting past that, then it was like, boom, life is good, you know. So we went there with no jobs. Um, the idea was that my husband was going to, he had just learned about an online platform and how he could write for a living online. So that was great. He had online work that he was just starting. But in the beginning, it was very dicey and very, I remember, I thought it was until Thanksgiving. We arrived in August and I thought it was okay until Thanksgiving and then we were concerned about money but I reread the blog and it was after the first month um, it was concerning like well how are we going to buy more rice how are we going to buy more toilet paper will we make rent mm -hmm. so my plan well I didn't have a plan I had no plan I thought well, perhaps I could find a job tutoring or teaching English and that's exactly what I ended up doing I didn't have an ESL degree, but I'm a native speaker, and I happened to walk into a tutoring place just down the road from where we lived, and oh, a Brazilian woman was looking for a native English-speaking person just like me. So it was a, a good combination, and the irony is I ended up, the first children I ended up tutoring were Russian twins, and they were there to, they were there to learn professional tennis. So again, think of Floripa like Cape Cod. It was like the place to jet into during the summer. And so I guess Floripa is known as a place to learn tennis. They have a lot of high-end tennis courts for the wealthy. And so these Moscow twins at age 10 came in to, you know, tune their game. And I was their English teacher. Um, so that was fun. Then the... Uh, the Brazilian woman wanted to have her own program, 
And so I had to take a bus to a, a school in the north and they were building things. That's the thing about Brazilians. Everything is just very entrepreneurial. Like there are rules and everybody ignores them and you get around things. There's always a loop away around things. There's always a way through the line. And so she approached her, her child's school and said, I want to build like an English school with it. And so in the playground, they were building a building and I was teaching there, different age kids. So it was very just, it happened. <laughs> so, uh, so that's how I you know, made my money. I did a little bit of online work as well, but that's, you know, what I did. And he ended up working online. So it was a very entrepreneurial situation for us. Um, there are definitely different, you know, visas you can get in which you have a job already and you move to that, that country and it, you know, the, the rules vary greatly, but that's what we ended up doing. I taught English and he did mostly online work. So, so that was unexpected. How, how did, and you, you just, you live for the day, you live for the week, you live for the month, not knowing if you have enough money for rice or rent, but we were happy. You know, we had uh, this Waldorf community and lots of hiking and just exploring uh, this new world. We'll have more about Carnival and Heather's adventures with the Portuguese language after the break. Are you tired of staring at a blank page waiting for inspiration? Do you have thoughts to share with your community but no time to write? I recommend hiring Kathy's Compelling Content. Kathy Hansen has 25 years experience writing for the web. She's a PhD-trained researcher with a strong record of curating and synthesizing complex research data. She's deadline-driven and an editor's dream. You can see samples of her work in diverse writing genres and formats at kathyscompellingcontent.com. That's Kathy with a K, Kathy's Compelling Content. The link's in the show notes. We're back with Heather Herring. We lived in kind of this, um, you know, think about Cape Cod, a little, a little town. It's called Lagoa de Concepcion. Everybody called it Lagoa for short. So there's this little lake that's right next to the ocean. So you have water on both sides, the ocean waves and then the calm. Uh, and this cute little, you know, touristy town and with a market. Uh, everybody goes to market. You go, you know, just everything about our lives. Uh, grocery shopping every two days, you know, for the daily bread and the vegetables and um, cooking a lot. And uh, the, the schools were only half day. So they had a long, I think it was eight, eight to one or seven to 12, something like that. And then you came home for lunch and you had the afternoon off. So it was like a very different rhythm to the world than, than the rat race. But Floripa is kind of two areas. One side is this like tourist and fishing villages and little tourist towns. And then you go up over the big mountain with the switchbacks. And on the other side is the city with skyscrapers and downtown and business people. And I dealt very infrequently with that side, but it was where you would go, you know, for the occasional shopping or occasional event like Carnival. You know, who, who doesn't move to Brazil without going to Carnival? <laughs> So they have a special building called a Sambadrome that they use once a year for Carnival. And the every neighborhood, it's like when we think about like the Patriots and you know two, two different football teams, 
it's like that for the Carnival. So every neighborhood has its own drum corps. So they practice drumming months before Carnival. I think it starts in October, November. And every Friday night, the local guys would get together and, and start drumming. And then you have a theme and you have your colors for each neighborhood. And so you get closer and closer to Carnival. You hear the drums on Friday night. You go down to watch them, kids play. The closer you get to it, then you have kind of the neighborhood show off where you go through the neighborhoods drumming and it's just an amazing party. And then you actually get to Carnival and of course it's a long line to get there. And we did, we got tickets to the Samba Drum in Floripa and we were up, I wrote it down, I can't believe it. We had our eight-year-old at the time uh, up until 4.30 in the morning for the last fireworks of the last parade and the practically nude women. And it was insanely awesome. And we were so tired. <laughs> we were the Americans that were like, oh my God, it's over. <laughs> so it was awesome. Yeah. I actually wanted to go back to Brazil I feel like I've missed that moment with my daughter um, to see her friends because now her friends are, you know, graduating surfer dude, you know, Brazilian teenagers and they've gone through their goth period and they're, you know, different schools and everything. But it's it's like a stream. I don't know that you can step in the same stream twice. The 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 day the day we left the last her last day of school they were paving the dirt road that her school was on. So it was this red dirt road that just continued down, down to the beach, you know. So you can just see progress. It, actually, they've changed the name of the school since we left. But I am still friends with uh, several of the mothers on Facebook. So, so I say I still speak Facebook Portuguese. I can understand what they say and the jokes and follow along with, you know, where is Brazil right now with COVID-19 and... Um, my heart goes out to them for sure. So does Willow still have all of her Portuguese or how much has she lost? No. So remember, this is now 10 years ago. And when we came back, we're fluent, we're tan, we're skinny, because uh, you walk everywhere. You walk miles a day in flip-flops and it's comfortable on hard cobblestone streets. And I came back to my very not diverse, you know, community. And I was like, there's no one here that speaks Portuguese. This would be fake, you know. We learned Portuguese because you needed it in your everyday life. And that's how she learned it, not by conjugating verbs or lessons, but just by speaking. And everybody wanted me to sign her up for lessons to continue her Portuguese, but I felt like it would turn into something you didn't like, you know and didn't really need, so no. And then she lost her Portuguese and that was very sad. I have videos of her talking with friends, but no, I think that, I think somewhere deep within her, the whole romance language thing rests and she has taken French in you know, middle school and Spanish in high school. And I think, I think her teachers overall say, oh, you have a good accent. You know, I think she picks up the accent of a language pretty, easily, but she's not fluent in any of them because she doesn't need to be. It's just for class and then we learn these vocabulary words. So it's a very different way of learning a language. So I hope that she does a study abroad in college as that comes up uh, um, and gets opportunities to live elsewhere where you need it and where it's every day. 
Um, another place to learn Portuguese publicly was the church. We lived downhill from the old, old, like 1700s Catholic church on the hill. And I'm not Catholic, but I wanted a place of worship. And that was, you either were Catholic in Floripa or you were evangelical. And uh, so we chose to go to the old white church on the hill. And they had old, their little old ladies and they had the teens that would sing. And it was a wonderful experience to listen to the Padre speak through a microphone Portuguese and understand, okay, they're talking about John. Okay, they're talking about Paul. This is what the, the theme of the day is and, and learn that way. And then one day the experience was Willow liked to dress up back then and she, she had some nice dresses. So one day she dressed up in a fancy dress and her little shoes and little socks and headband. And we marched up the hill for church and sat down. And at one point during the service, the padre said, you know, welcome, come down front. And, you know, we, we want you to come down front and signaling to us. And the woman, little old lady in front of me said, no, they don't understand Portuguese. And I said, yes, I do. And so we marched down front and we thought, oh, we've been coming to this church for weeks now. They want to officially introduce us and, you know, announce us to, to the church. And then I suddenly understood where things were going and I started blushing and I turned bright red and I saw the Padre bring over the font of water and I leaned over to Willow and very casually, quietly said, you're about to get baptized. And so the Padre baptized her into the Catholic Church, gave her a sheet of paper with her name on it, her certificate, gave her a candle, she got wet, and Sherman, he didn't know what was going on for most of the time. Um, and then we sat down again and I ate my words, but I knew exactly what was going on. <laughs> I did not until it was too late. We were so embarrassed. We marched home and I lived in purgatory for two days thinking, oh my goodness, the Catholic church, baptism is very important in the Catholic church. And you, it's a thing against God. Like what have we done? We've lied. And she's now, and we had this piece of paper. We had this piece of paper with a different child's name on it. Of course, you know, four Catholic names. And so two days later, I got the courage and I went back up the hill on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And I caught the Padre. He was getting into his convertible. He had a baseball cap on and a t-shirt. And I said, Padre, Padre, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. We're not that person. There's a mistake. And I was practically in tears. And he laughed. He laughed and laughed and laughed. He said, don't worry. She's a child of God. Of course, she's baptized into this church. Take the piece of paper to my secretary. Get her proper name on it. And he was expecting a German family. And he looked at us and thought we were the German family. And he said, are you ready? Are you ready for church today? And we said, yes, we're ready for church today. <laughs> but he meant, are you ready to be baptized today? And so, so yes, so she is officially um, baptized into UCC church here in the United States. And she's officially baptized in the Catholic church on, on Floripa. Um, so it's a special thing. <laughs> but yes, sometimes I got, I got into fixes like that all the time. <laughs> yeah, yep. I, I, I know I know that feeling of 
understanding about 40% and, and <laughs> going for it. And it makes life very exciting. <laughs> it does. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot to say for courage and humility as well. <laughs> well, so. but I'm, I'm struck by you have both the, hey, let's just try it and see what happens attitude. Mm -hmm. But the you also have the quality that, that made you say, I think I'll try a university and, and maybe somebody needs a data researcher. That kind of outgoingness, yeah. um, I'm, I can imagine it must have really served you and that, that somebody without that <laughs> would not be as well positioned in this kind of experience as, as somebody with those qualities. Well, I think it's, you know, never let them see you sweat, uh, even in Brazil. I mean, definitely I was shy or embarrassed or like, oh my gosh, this isn't going to work on the inside, but on the outside, I was like, hey, do you need some help or let me try some Portuguese on you? So yeah, I, I think it just, it's kind of a tap dancing routine. You just go for it. And, and, uh, you know, I think I got to see, I got to see parts of the island and I got to see experiences on the island that the locals hadn't seen. And so I just like, it's a Saturday. We're going for a hike. We're going to go see these petroglyphs. We're going to go to the island off of the island, you know, and I had to plan. I had a little bit because of money. It's like, oh, do we have enough money for the ferry? Do we have enough money to do this, you know, thing, but it, it made it more precious. It made it more uh, memorable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have a little thing, I, if I can read to you uh, an example of a blog. So the blog I wrote was TG Adventure for the Grand Adventure. So tgadventure.wordpress.com is the name of my blog. It's still up there. And uh, basically I wrote all of it uh, Willow and my husband wrote a, a few entries, but I was basically the person documenting the trip. And I wanted to read a little excerpt from one of those days. Okay. Can we put the link to, to the blog in the show notes? Certainly. Certainly, yes. Okay, good. So here was the first day of fall in U.S. time and the first day of spring in Brazil time. <laughs> so it was the equinox okay. day. I mentioned to a friend who is also living abroad that I feel us passing from the traditional honeymoon phase of living abroad to the grumpy part. She recognized the truth in this, and I read everywhere that these stages are normal and that the next phase is adjustment. And when I say grumpy, I mean one of us might be grumpy for five minutes and the other for the whole day. You just get to this precipice of where everything could come together or fall apart, and you decide how to balance it. This morning, after walking Willow over the stone bridge to the Lagoa and watching her zoom off in the Volkswagen Bug, I decided to keep walking. The sky was unbelievably blue, the seagulls were flying high over the water, and the boats were brilliantly yellow against the mountainous backdrop. Sheesh, people, I wish I had my camera with me. I guess I don't carry it around much anymore because I live here, and I don't need a camera around my neck making me stand out more than I do. Do I describe to you the beautiful Lagoa, the sky, the water, the peacefulness that was just to the left of me as I walked along the sidewalk that hugged the tiny beach and coast? But I could just as easily turn my head to the right 
and described the noise of the cars rushing close past me along the road that also follows the water. Across the street lies the tourist strip, quiet now, but waiting for piles of people in the summer to eat at seafood restaurants and plastic chairs, stay in tiny posadas with a glimpse of this view, and eat pizza and risotto and drink from coconuts. In the evenings, the road becomes bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, even in the slow season. The loud cars, the broken cement, and running street dogs crowd my thoughts. And yet, it also faces this wellspring of beauty and freshness, Lagoa de Concepcion, the path that takes me 30 minutes to walk briskly along the short end of the lagoon is where the middle class take their morning walk for exercise. Do I focus on the left or the right? Welcome to the first day of spring or the first day of fall. So that's, that's my, my edit. My <laughs> it just kind of captured. I love that. There's lots of that. Yeah. So there were two ways to look at everything that I experienced there, and uh, I chose to look at the Lagoa. I love it. I love it. I, I think that uh, I was going to ask you for closing remarks, but that sounds like it. <laughs> What's next on your travel wish list? <laughs> That's a very good question because I didn't necessarily say I'm moving to Brazil. I said I want to live someplace while my child's still young in a foreign country to become not the foreigner, right? To be not the estrangero, but to the, the Maiduilo, the friend. I don't have a particular country in mind, or even if it's another country or this country, we have such a beautiful big United States of America. And um, it is, it is, I've always said it's many countries in one country for sure, and more so today. But I do feel like there's warmth calling for me at a next phase of my life. I feel like I've really been involved with theater and local, you know, local church, local events and school, you know, for Willow and this house, this property. But I'm feeling, I'm feeling that like, well, the kid's going off to college. Maybe this is a time to do something new, but it can be scarier because it would be like not coming back to the house that's just rented or not coming back with people, you know, be, be on my own, I don't know. So I don't have a place or time chosen, but I, I definitely have a lot of adventure left in me and I want to pursue that. I don't want that to pass by. That's perfect. Thank you, Heather. My thanks to Heather Herring. You can find out more about her and her grand adventure in the show notes. I invite everyone to email me or message me and tell me what you've always wanted to try. I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold, and thanks for listening.